listening to the Retro Guardians. Okay, now what? Buckle up. Have you ever bought or rented a videotape that wasn't quite right? <laughs> Groovy. Little Hand says it's time to rock and roll. Bring the noise. Hasta la vista, baby. Retro Guardians. Well, hello, hello to all our fabulous listeners. You are listening to another episode of Retro Guardians. I'm Jay. And I'm the one and only Ben. Ben. So, this week... Now, if I said to you, tell me my top three favourite movies. Well, you know me pretty well. What are they? Well, off the top of my head, I could hit and miss. But there's one that I have to say is actually the ringtone on my phone for you. Mm-hmm. That wouldn't the be... the one and only Warner Brothers franchisee of the 80s and if you weren't a kid back in that time period you did not know this comedy that very well and i would uh, accuse you of being a fake if mm. you did say you were and that's the one and only police academy oh yeah you got that in one ben um this movie 1984 classic is up there uh, i think this is probably my number one my favorite movie um in my top three, definitely. Um, I love it. I've seen it probably a hundred times, and I just never get sick of it. I, I can watch it over and over and over. Um, Could you enlighten us with the other two? The other two is a Stephen King classic, Christine. Christine. And the third is none other than Mr. Willis, Die Hard. Oh, yes, 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 I should have known that one. So, let's talk a little bit about Police Academy. 1984. Um, it's a good mix of sort of goofball comedy, um, law and order, crooks, and, bad guys, good guys. And anarchy mixed anarchy. in one. Yep. And a bit of incompetence thrown in there. So, 80s competence. Yeah, and it, it all sort of stemmed, and I look, I mean, I think everybody's seen this, but the, the movie basically stems from the city undergoing a bit of a crime wave, and there's not enough cops. So the city goes out to accept pretty much whoever applies, don't they? Yes. And okay. uh, that's how you know, our big friend Mr. Mahoney show, gets a job there, doesn't it? Yes, it does. Do you know who the main producer was for the whole series, do you, Joe? Well, uh, is that Paul Maslansky? Yeah. Paul, just before this, was making the right stuff for Warner Brothers, and they were filming, I believe, up near San Francisco. Mm. And they used a lot of the then uh, cadets from the police academy up there, and Paul was sort of astonished by the indifference and the, the, the all shapes and sizes, as he said. And he was talking to one of the, the, the lead uh, in charges. I don't know if, who, what rank they were. And they said there was a new edict at the time within that city to take anyone. Mm. But the guy whispered and winked at him going, but we can flunk him after eight weeks. Right. And it just didn't leave him. He then and there just saw a film, he says. Yeah. Many interviews afterwards. So the film was put together very quickly. I can tell you that. I think less than a year and they were making it. Yeah. 
So to get the budget under the sort of radar at the time, because a lot of Warner Brothers movies at the time were peaking over $15 million, and they couldn't afford that. No. So I know for a fact that these films were all, and the subsequent films as well, were all shot in Canada. So they did it pretty cheap. I think they did this yes. for $4.5 million back in 84. Yeah. And it's definitely so, made its money back, over 149 absolutely. mil. Absolutely. So they went out looking for the up-and-comers with comedy. That was what the edict was with the casting. They really wanted to find people that were funny, whether naturally or just had a, a knack for it. Oh, yeah. And the cast to this day is incredible. It's probably the best matching cast to fit the plot of the movie. Uh, now, I've seen it was also time. a time period where diversity was starting to happen. I wouldn't yeah. say it was fully happening, but it was starting to. Yep. And yep. this film fits that mantra very well. And you'd agree with me on that. It does. Yeah, it they recruit. Guys, it was girls too. Yep. They recruit sort of all different walks of life to join the police, don't they? In all shapes and sizes. Yep. So, um, as I mentioned, a bit of a goofball sort of comedy, but as I, I said, we had uh, our repeat offender, Mr. Mahoney. He was given a second chance by Captain Reed to come in. We had, uh, who else did we have? We had uh, Lavelle Jones. Lavelle Jones, Sr., Monsignor. Yes, the human beatbox. Michael Winslow. Yep. Awesome. I had the pleasure of meeting him at the first con I ever went to in Melbourne about 15 years ago, Jay. I didn't get an autograph, and to this day I regret it. Yeah. And he actually did a whole thing over the loudspeaker for the whole convention. <laughs> and even I had to stop and go, what the hell was, oh, never mind, I know yeah. what this is. And, and for those that don't realise, those sound effects he does in the movie are actually him. That's, That's real. That's right. That's absolutely right. Mm. I think uh, to a generation of kids. Yeah. He, he will always be well known for this and definitely also Spaceballs. Oh, yeah. But um, I think it will always be Jones that he's most memorable for. Mm. Uh, well, I've got to also point out they actually went with a, uh, a then, I believe he was a then football player in America, the one and only Bubba Smith, played the one and only yep. Hightower. Moses, yep. Yes. And, the florist. Uh, he was just starting. I think he'd done a little bit of television just mm. before this. Now, I did not know he was a football player, not until the early it. 90s when he did several guest stars on Married with Children, and then I heard and went, oh, wow, I didn't know that. And um, uh, yeah. he was one of them. And yeah, there was he a lot of football players in the 80s starting to be in movies. And he couldn't drive a car. So I remember that scene where, you know, they've had Copeland's little two-door Honda and they've ripped the seats out so he can fit. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Now, yes, a one of my favourite characters is our gun-obsessed security guard, Mr. Eugene Tackleberry. Played by the late David, is it Graf? Graf, yep. Yep, yep. He died sadly, quite young, didn't he? Sadly, he died in uh, 2000 or 2001. Yeah. I know it was, it was a heart attack. Early he was only 50s. 50, 51. Yeah, yeah. 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 Um, I can say out loud... Uh, this character reminds me and you of someone that you know. Oh, yeah. And I will absolutely put my life on that line oh, yeah. saying that. Yep, yep. Um, I do know he went to the casting for the movie in full camouflage gear. He was pretty much hired on the spot. <laughs> Walked in and the whole thing and they went, go home. You've got it. Don't worry. Oh. It's you. Yeah, and he had it. And um, I know a lot of little things he did were improvised and immediately put in the movie. So there's a scene where he's sharpening his knife, and they said to do it to 100. He goes, no, what if I'm at 1,000? 
<laughs> so it's like thousand and one, thousand and two, thousand and three. That that was all him, mm. and the little things like all all the extra weapons and that that was all him too. Yeah. Now, so that always stands out with me. Speaking of the diversity, we can't forget our cowardly man, Mister Leslie Barbara. Now, I believe it was Donovan Scott. Was his name, if I'm not mistaken? Hmm. I think Leslie was. Yeah, I think you're right. He was played by Donovan Scott. Yep. I only seen him in a couple of handful of films. I believe he was in the third Back to the Future, mm. playing the deputy, and a few other films like that. He sort of fit that mantra. But this this was a really good thing for him, and he said it was because they were looking for someone that could do physical stick as well as verbal. So a lot of stuff he does is very physical. So there's a scene on a flying fox, things like that. That was why he was picked for that. Yeah. Um, I know there's a scene where he gets into uh, a bit of an altercation with our two favourite dirt bags who are trying to dob everyone in and keep in a certain Mr. Harris's good books. Yep. Wanks and Connors. And one of them in the face with a a tray, serving tray. Yeah. And and it was Mahoney and said other dirt bag who – said they couldn't keep a straight face because he said he kept doing these see you next Tuesday looks every time he got hit in the face of the train. Everyone would burst out laughing. Yeah. And I said, I always remember those scenes. And he has a very distinct dog also, which we introduced very briefly when mm. he arrives at the police academy. He tries to so, hump Lassard's leg, right? That's right. It's his mother's <laughs> dog. It's like yeah. a sausage dog or slash poodle something. Yeah. Um, we can't stand here and not also talk about our mousy little character as well the one and only hooks hooks yep also played by the late marion ramsey i didn't know she died uh not too long ago she was in her early 70s i should also mention as well our favorite hightower bubba smith also passed away a couple of years ago as well yeah, yeah in, his, in his mid-60s look i'm just uh, gonna say it now and before i forget all the other sequels i actually didn't mind them i know they've go downhill from here but i still like them but oh, having yeah, I can said watch that, them too i agree with that having but said the first that, one you can't touch it no but where they've missed the mark is i think this was prime picking for another um you know 20 years later sort of movie showing them higher up in the chain and you know getting some new fresh recruits through i, I just think it had real potential for cameos for these and unfortunately most of them have passed away and they've missed that opportunity am i, I do you agree with heard, me on that yeah, i do but i also have heard from several that have survived the who were in the sequel said they felt it's a bit too little, too late. Yeah. Oh, now it is. They've missed yeah. the boat. If, if they'd done it 10 years ago, maybe, but no, yep. now, no. It's no, it's finished. Long. It's finished. Yep. Yeah, exactly. So so but, Hooks was the soft little spoken one who, you know, yeah. comes comes good in the end. She uh, stands up for her fellow uh, colleagues and gets so the I bad guys. So I heard when she does raise her voice, the sound man was so used to her being the <laughs> mousy one. Yep that he jumped when she actually did use the full voice. Mm. I did hear this on the, about the main kings. I also heard that she she was a theatre actress and, mm. and a music, uh, did a lot of musicals, and she was doing the revitalization of Little Shop of Horrors at the time. And for whatever reason, where she was at, Michael Jackson was there, and he came out the back to have a talk to all of them. Mm. And she said she based her voice on Michael Jackson. I yep. actually heard this uh, from her herself in an interview. So I love those little tidbits about that. Um, we can't sit here and not mention two of the other girls, one of them being played by the one and only Kim Cattrall. 
that most oh, people yeah. would now know for Sex in the City. But back in those days, there's three, I'd say, raunchy comedies she was sort of more famous for. One being mm-hmm. the original Porky's, the other being the original Mannequin, yep. and this. But the one I also knew her for was the one and only Big Trouble Little China, which we had done in an earlier episode. Nowadays, I think it is mainly Sex in the City that everyone knows her for. Mm. But she was just starting out at this time period. That's why I, I sort of remember her the most for this. Yeah, so she and played Karen also, Thompson. The, she was the, the, the rich girl. Yes. Also, yeah. the second in charge, also the trainer with Mr. Harris, uh, yeah. the one and only uh, Callahan. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. Uh, Leslie, oh, I'm trying to remember uh, her name. Uh, yeah, um, Debbie Callahan. She was played by Leslie Easterbrook. That's the one. Eastwood, that's right. She yeah. was given a brief description when she was told about the part. And the description was a Wayne Newton without a mustache, but a female version. Yep. And she's like, how, how do I do that? <laughs> so the only thing she could think of was to make her very intimidating. Her ex-husband uh, told her when they were married, cause when she did it, she said, he said, you you were very scary there. And that's what she used. That's right. Like so typical drill sergeant. With her, like, Give like, it yeah, to me now. You know, scared everyone to Jesus. Oh, oh yeah, yeah. Now... Yeah. I can't sit here and not mention two other characters, Jay, mm. and you would agree with me on this. This series would not be this without these two other characters. Mm-hmm. The one and only Commandant Lassard, played by the one and only, the late George Gaines. Now, mm. i got to mention, this guy got up there, Jay. He was 98 when he died, wow. which was not that long ago. And I also know for a fact he was doing a TV show during the 80s at the same time he was doing this, which was the Funky Brewster TV show, which was very, very popular with kids. We never got it here. I do love the way his character was portrayed. You know, the dumb, incompetent commandant. You know, everyone had to carry him. But but there were times when he was switched on, and they're the bits I also Mm. like too. You think he's not paying attention, and he's spaced out, and he actually is paying attention, (laughs) and he surprises us occasionally. So, he was yeah, he's doing the show Punky Brewster. So he used to shoot all the movies on his time off from that show. Every time they made a movie, it was always had to be filmed when he wasn't doing that show. Because yeah. that show went for like seven or eight years. Yeah, so and I, I know he used to scheduling. do, you know, when he did his sort of dumb, oh, this is a very, very, very nice bunch of people. My mum to this day still does that sort of take on uh, his, his um, words. So, yeah, which is surprising. But I've got to mention another other character. Now... At the time, I thought he was a bit of a complete dick. Now I'm a bit older. I get where he was coming oh, from. Are you talking and that's the one and only about, Lieutenant uh, Harris. Harris, yep. Played by the one and only G.W. Bailey. Now, he is still with us. He's in his early 80s. Yep. I know he's still working. Yeah, I've seen him is. pop up occasionally still, so I do yep. know he's around. Hmm. Um, who else was in this one? I think there was – was it Fackler? Was the other one? Violet Fackler was the wife, and then we had uh, Douglas Fackler was the husband. So husband and wife team. Yeah, yeah. Douglas, uh, I think I... He was always looking like he was spaced out a bit. He was always daydreaming. Nerdy, you know, sort of guy. Yeah. So what I do remember about him was he was in several of the sequels, not all of them. They actually, he, he wasn't in two of the later ones, and then they brought him back for six. Mm. Uh, he was played by uh, Bruce Mailer. I hope I'm saying his name right. Yeah. And he, he was also at the time in Friday the 13th Part 4, the final chapter, which I believe was made the same year. Mm. 
So, I mean, this guy worked a lot too, a lot of television as well. So I do remember him a lot too. And um, there, I think there was one other character. So we, we've also mentioned the... Uh, I mentioned the dirtbags, the cadets. Yep. Carl Blanks and Chad Copeland. Mm. These two were in several of the sequels. Not uh, They were in together in the third one, and I believe one of them was in the fourth one. Mm-hmm. But they were sort of the uh, foils for the mm. other cadets, as I seem to remember. So I always remember them as well. Yeah, so brown noses. We, I think it's know? best we play the trailer, don't you, Joe? Let's have a listen. I think that's a good idea. Here we go. Crime. The city was full of it. Hey! Three TVs! Desperate measures were needed. Want you to go to the police academy. The police academy is such a dangerous place. Honey, don't worry. Desperate measures were taken. I'm joining the police force! The mayor says we have to take this riffraff. I'm trapped here? Oh, yes. We all are. What about guns? When do we get guns? You will be schooled in firearms, police procedures, local laws, and many, many other things. High-speed driving. And self-defense. I need a volunteer. That's me! Police Academy. Where did you get this gun? Mom gave it to me. Mister, I am warning you, hot tower! They're lean. Mean. Does the radio bother you? I can turn it down. Obscene. Each and every one of them striving to defend. You make me sick. Thank you, sir. I make everybody sick. See the thighs. Or upend. Come on, come on, I haven't got all day the thighs. And now that they're ready for the real world. Crime is no longer the number one problem. They are. Can you get my kitty cat out of the tree? No problem, ma'am. Police Academy. <laughs> I've never saw that one, Jay. I've never seen that trailer. I've seen the TV trailer, but not that one. <laughs> yeah, it's a classic. It's a classic. So, I love it. So I do have to go on the record and mention the fact this film was on television regularly while we were growing up. I think they, especially this one, it was on at least once a year. Mm. I'm not wrong in saying that, am I, Joe? No, I, I, I'd watch it about the same. There, there's one scene I just want to mention. It was in the trailer. It's uh, where... Um, uh, what's his name? Sorry, uh, from the start, um, he's got the gun, the shotgun, out on the uh, the, the the gun oh, range. I, I hope you uh, mentioned this. Yeah, um, Tackleberry, uh, Leslie Barber, Leslie. Yeah, so he's got really little sh- moment I got to mention with that. Yeah, I'm about to so, probably say what you're thinking, but uh, he so. he's he turns around with the shotgun. Yes, and everybody ducks except one. Who but might that one be? One person. Yes. Who? Tackleberry, because he knows he didn't cock it. Yeah. Well, I think he didn't have his finger on the trigger or something. He was paying attention, and he's like, that gun's safe. It's not a problem. I'm going to keep standing. Now, tell me, I think that was ad-libbed, wasn't it? 
Yes, I, I think it was. But I also love the fact they take into those kind of details mm. with characters. Yeah. So there's a scene also when they we first introduced the whole team turning up at the um, police academy. That yeah. I know they made up on the spot as well mm. with with um, with jo- with um, Michael as Jones. It's the scene where the the other officers walking past and he does the footprints. Yeah. The foot- <laughs> That was all made up on the spot too. He just yeah. said, "You want to do something?" Yes, I got an idea, and he he asked for an extra, mm. and he said, "Just react. Don't don't. <laughs> I won't tell you what I'm going to do. Just react." He went, mm. "All right." So he walked up, and he didn't tell him anything. Mm. And the huge the director Hugh Wilson would just say, "Just keep it going." So there's a scene where he looks at him in the face, then walks off, and he does it again, and stops, and then yep. he starts hurrying up, and he he did all that without being told. <laughs> And that's what they would do. They were like, go have fun mm. to the kid. That's what they uh, – I heard Leslie Eastbrook said that about the first three films the most because those directors were all comedy television directors originally. So it, they yeah. were told always, go have fun. There's one scene I want to talk about that we can't neglect to mention. Oh, my God. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, yes. I'm so glad I did that. I know. As a kid, you were sort of just like, what's going on here? Why? Yes, yeah. what's going on? I don't get it. Why are the bikies so, in the bar? Like, what's, yeah, what's happening? Yeah. And so now just we're a like, context oh, to people, oh. uh, at the halfway point of the training of the movie, the cadets are allowed to go out for the first time on their own in a weekend. Mm. And he's got the two snitches, Kyle and, 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 and is it Chad? I think, Jay? Mm. And he tells them, They'll get together and have a party. When oh, they yeah. do, call me. <laughs> they bully Barbara into telling them where it is. He doesn't know, but yep. he says he'll find out. And he asks Mahoney. Mahoney yeah, sort cottons. of gets wind, yeah. something's up. And he gives him, yeah, yeah, it's at the Blue Oyster Bar over and such and such. Oh, These yeah. two turn up not expecting what's about to happen happening. Hmm. Now, what I do know is their, uh, their makeup artist on the movie he mm. said to them, don't worry, I've got a lot of friends. We'll have the place full for this scene. Mm. And what they said in the making, the two guys, was the average one was 6'4". Yep. And he said they all supplied their own wardrobes. And what the other said was the two guys that we're dancing with are actually professional ballroom dancers. Mm. So they, they did have the pros for that scene. That that was all all choreographed, all that stuff was. So I love the scene at the end of the night, <laughs> what they're doing and, and the looks on their faces. Yep. And then that next day is when they're at the shooting range, that scene we mentioned with Tackleberry and Leslie, and he pulls them up and says, there was a party, wasn't there? Yes. Well, what happened? Well, nothing really happened. Well, something must have happened. What happened? Dancing, sir. Mostly dancing and storms mm. off and it zooms in on Harris going, dancing? <sighs> and then while they're doing that, we actually see the real party, which is a little typical yeah. early 80s party and Big it seems party. to be everyone's having a good time. Mm. It's also the first time we sort of get uh, Hightower out of his shell. We actually hear him talk and we get a little bit more about his backstory in that scene too yeah. at the party. Um, I do remember Jones walking around with the the tennis racket pretending it's a guitar while he's doing all the music. Uh-huh. That, that was funny. Yep. And Tackleberry can play one hell of a saxophone. Saxophone, yep. Absolutely. Now, uh, I think one thing 
we should mention about this and probably subsequent Police Academy movies is the, I guess, inappropriateness for the current day. So 2023, if a movie was made, you would not be able to put half the jokes and stuff that were in that first mo- or subsequent movie, would you? We're, we're too no. PC now. No, too much, um, too much. You know, especially um, there's a lot of rampant sexism, first, you know, yes. that's in the movie and, and ethnic jokes and stuff like that. Yes, yes. But one thing I will say was it got criticised for that period of time, but the nudity in it's very quick. It's not mm. like it lingers. Yeah, so, yeah. I mean, like the meatballs of the Porky movies, there's a lot of that. Yeah. There's not that as much as that in this one. Yeah. Um, I don't even think there was much in the next sequels either. I don't think there was any nudity after no, this No, it's just more the jokes. Yeah. Inappropriate So there's jokes. a couple of scenes, yes, I do agree, that now you could not get away with it. Oh. There's a specific scene where one of the two douchebags says racial slurs. Uh-huh. Specific scene where we're introduced to Hightower is a great example of that. Oh. One of them says, there's sure a lot of herbs yeah. here, and then suddenly a big hand touches him on the shoulder, and it's like... But that's a good thing. Mm. And I, I heard he didn't enjoy saying that at the time. Yeah. And there's yeah. another scene where the same said character says something to Hooks, and that's the scene where Hightower then lifts the car up with him in it. That's where mm. all that scene comes. Oh, same yeah. thing at the time. I did not understand that, Jay. Now I do, and I'm like, oh, okay. Well, I yeah. And, and Hugh Wilson, the director, he, there was actually some scenes that he was not impressed about. Um, one of those was the scene where uh, Commandant Lassan was giving the um, the le- speech? the speech. Yep, and there was, the, was prostitute the under the that was the producer. Lectern. Yeah, that was yep. that was a very memorable scene. But as a kid, I'm like, what? What's going yeah, on? Yeah, I, I was the same. It's like, don't ask. Yeah, I was like, oh, what's she doing under there? I don't know. But yeah, but, now at all. But the bit I love about that scene now, Jay, mm. it's not that scene. It's the subsequent scene afterwards with Lassard when he's in shock. Yeah. <laughs> you see how he drives the golf cart, he parks in the bush and walks out. I love that. I know. Now. Yeah. That sells that. Um, those <laughs> I, scenes now, you're right. You could not get away with that. No. I heard him say in an interview, uh, um, George said, I was a bit unsure of that because it was sort of stemming towards porno at the time and they go no 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 we're going to play it straight blah 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 i'm like oh oh, all right i think it worked um, i think they did it well without making it too crude um but i also love that it switched at the end with the ending that was the uh one of the distributor producers alan ladd told him why don't you flip that and do that at the end and that's where that came from Mm. um alan ladd i should mention was running fox for a very long time and then he had a falling out over Empire Strikes Back with the Fox board. He started a independent release company and then took over MGM. But for the very early 80s, he helped release movies like Blade Runner and the first Police Academy. So that's why if you watch the opening credits, Jay, it says the Lad Company or something mm. yeah. that opens like a tree comes down yeah, and it yeah, yeah. says it's a production from them. Yeah. And... Um, yeah, I, I do know a couple of other scenes the same way. Well, the other um, one that Wilson was unhappy with was where um, uh, Harris was uh, hurled off his um, bike or whatever the, onto the... The horse. Uh, the arse of the horse, horse in the trailer. Yeah, yeah. But yeah. I same thing again. I love the aftermath. I love yeah. the scene. His hair is clean. He's got a new hat, mm. blah, blah. He's like, you told nobody? Mm. Not a soul, sir. And then we just see everyone's... <laughs> facial reactions mm. and i love when he looks up at um uh leslie as um 
Callahan, and she's just nearly bursting the seam, mm. trying to keep her face straight. And then as he tries to walk away, we hear a certain horse noise coming from a certain boombox mm. that not one of us could not help laugh at when he did that scene. Yep. What I do know is the stuntman that did the main scene for that with the motorcycle stunts, um, he worked on all the movies and subsequently got killed doing a stunt on another movie just after the sixth movie. Mm. He fell off a tower in Canada and got killed. And, I mean, they said uh, on the making he was on all the movies up and, and he literally died just after the sixth movie. Um, I forget there's a seventh movie, but I, I, I think that's so bad I don't even want to go into it. So mm -hmm. this film, it's all the training and then the end of it is a, a riot breaks out, which I love how the riot breaks out, mm. don't you, Jay? Yeah, it's good. And then subsequently they've got to go out and help get the riot under control. But they're giving wrong information. They end up right in the middle of the riot. All hell breaks loose naturally. Uh, a hostage situation occurs. Uh, Hightower has been suspended for uh, trashing the car with a said slight racist in it. Yep. And he comes out of the woodwork to help. Saves Harris and Mahoney. Subsequent scene afterwards we hear Hooks raise a voice, which is awesome. And then it ends with the uh, what I said, uh, the scene being reversed with, with um, commandant, the Commandant and Mahoney. And then we hear, see all the cadets now as full officers doing a march to an actually decent little song at the time. Now, I heard Hugh was in India doing uh, having a holiday after the movie came out about a year or two later. Jay said he saw a big line around the block and he thought it was something to do with Spielberg and discovered it was actually for Police Academy in India. And he was in shock and he said it played there actually for nearly two years straight. Cool. At that time, I was just like, wow. Mm. So this movie was only made for $4.5 million. Yep. Very quickly, this made Warner Brothers a lot of money at the time. Heaps. I think it was its big hit of that year. Yep. They wanted to cash in instantly. And the other thing was because all the actors were sort of it was their early days. Mm. They grabbed them and put them under contracts for not a lot of money. Mm. But their subsequent sequels, yeah. I think they had to pay them out a bit of the money if it made money. But um, I know a couple of them only signed for three or four movies. Mm. Yep. But I know the one thing that got memorable was they were switching characters in and out through the later ones too, which actually worked. But I didn't like, in my case, I think they didn't write the characters right by the later films. Mm. Uh, for example, Hightower is more interesting the less he speaks. And specifically in the last, uh, especially five and six, he talks a lot. And I'm oh, like, yeah. I don't think that works for that character. Oh, yeah, true. That's just what you're used to, I guess. Yeah, it's true. I mean, they really let the guys loose. And I know there was tons of improvisations. Yeah. With, with specifically with Michael, you just have to put him in certain situations. So my favourite one with him to this day is not in the first... I love the stuff he does in the first movie. Like the video game sequence, Jay, is still memorable mm -hmm. in the in the bedroom. But there's a scene in the second film where he's sitting down and just having a drink in a sort of cafeteria sort of food court and a couple comes in complaining about television, which obviously perks him up. And then they start eating and he starts doing sound effects to everything they're eating and doing. So when the lady blows her nose, she really blows it like a horn. Yeah. But my favorite scene is the uh, the guy starts drinking his drink and it sounds like he's, he's really slurping it. And as soon as he stops, yeah. he burps. Yep, yep. I love all that stuff with him when he does stuff like that. There's another sequence, I think, in the, in the sixth one where it's a guy walking on a 
on a floor and he does it like it's um, like a squeaky. Every time he does it, squeaks. And I, those sort of things with him is fantastic, and I still enjoy that. So, so and um, another fun I, fact is that it was actually filmed, the, the actual academy itself was the uh, old Lakeshore Psychiatric Hospital in Toronto. I do know it was made, I wasn't sure which city it was made in. Mm, but and the, I, yeah, it was all sort of at various locations around Toronto. Yeah, yeah I thought that. I wasn't, I wasn't sure if it was Vancouver or Toronto. I knew it was one of the two. Mm. Um, I know the subsequent sequels were all filmed there. I don't, I know for a fact the fifth one wasn't. They shot that in Miami because oh, yes. the agreements yeah. was they needed to move locations for a fifth movie. Yep. That's why they, they said Mission in Miami. But I do... No, I'm not sure, Jay, where they shot the third one because the third one's ending. I'm not sure if that was was there or somewhere it was a bit hotter with the water because mm. of all the water stuff and the stunts and that. So it might have been Canada. I'm not 100% sure. But I do know, like I said, the fifth one was shot in America. I know that for a fact. So mm. let's talk about um, – we'll just bring up a couple of things with the sequels. Uh, several of the, the main characters do return for the second film, which was their first assignment. And sadly, a handful of characters from the first film we never see again, which I think was a shame. Um, uh, Les, uh, Leslie uh, Barber being one of them, I think he should have popped up again. And then I, there was another character which I, I didn't mention. He's sort of like a Latino lover type. Who oh, yeah. Gets a big... Uh, big turn on towards a certain Callahan. Mm. So that's a very memorable scene. But um, the second one, it it, it it was also written very fast. I think sometimes that's not always a good thing. We're introduced to two other characters who will be mainstays over the next several films. We introduced the one and only Sweet Chuck, which I believe people called you that for a while, Jay. And we're introduced to the one and only Zed, which I think a lot of people felt that was me at the time. <laughs> Yeah. So that is them in their first job. We're introduced to Lasage's younger brother, who's um, the captain of the yep. area. We're also introduced to the, the other foil. Now, the foil being Mauser, and he would be the foil for the next two films, part two and part three. And then uh, Harris would return afterwards. I forgot that Harris wasn't in a couple of them. And then. Um, the third one is back in training, which is them actually now running the police academy. And there's a great scene where all the new cadets are on the bus and they're all being loud and Hooks is trying to talk and no one will listen. She blows a horn and said, set your butt to the seat and listen hard. And they all sit down suddenly like, um, like a domino effect, which is actually quite cool. And then that has a very memorable, that one specifically was when they started doing the big memorable endings. Do you remember this? Mm. What do you mean? Well, the second one is in the, the, the gang's hideout, but three, four, and five, it's sort of a big ending climax. So in the third one, when it's on jet skis and boats in the water. In the, it's, it's, sorry, the third movie. Yeah, the fourth one involves planes and balloons, and the fifth one is out in the bayou on, um, oh, what's the big... Yeah, like Florida, big... wasn't it? Something? Yeah. Be, oh, what they used to go through the Everglades and stuff, I can't think yeah, of. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So they really utilise sort of big vehicles and a lot of explosions and like sort of big action or something, and comedy it? stuff. Yeah, yeah. And then that that's that's how it went there for a while. 
But the first one, we don't have that. I mean, it's less. It's the first movie. Obviously, they're still testing the water. Hugh never went on to direct any of the sequels. Hugh actually had a very successful directing career, Jay, I should mention. Um, he went on to direct straight after this uh, 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 ra- uh, Rustler's Rhapsody with Tom Berger. G.W. Bailey was in that as well. And he also directed Burglar with Whoopi Goldberg, John Goodman, and G.W. again in that as well. And he did Guarding Tess with Shirley MacLaine and Nicolas Cage in 94. And he did the First Wives Club with Bette Mittler um, and crew. And then he did two movies with uh, Brendan Fraser in the late 90s, both Blast from the Past and Dudley Do-Right. So, I mean, he kept pretty consistently busy for like more than 15 years. And that all came from Police Academy, and I know he did say that out loud. It gave him a, a directing career because Police Academy was his first film. He directed a bit of television before that and, and co-wrote a few films, and that was about it. So you know when something's a success, like I said, some people want to milk it as much as possible. Now, I would love to do the other films at some point with you in another um, episode, but for now I think we'll just, like I said, stick to the first one and what we've mentioned. Yep. So what would you give this out of 10, Joe? Look, my uh, my score is an individual representation of what I enjoy. I'm going to sure. give it a 10. I give it an 8. <laughs> it's still up there for me. Yep. It's still a favourite. Having said uh, that, it has not got a great review on Rotten Tomatoes or Metacritic. Uh, Rotten Tomatoes, 57%. Metacritic, 41%. I don't really give a crap half the time no, about I some don't. of those reviews. Well, you know that. Just Roger Ebert from the Chicago Sun, Ooh. he gave it zero stars out of four, saying it's really something. It's so bad, maybe you should pull your money and draw straws and send one of the guys off to rent it so that in the future, whenever you think you're sitting through a bad comedy, he could shake his head. Well, I mean, come on. Lennon Moulton, give it two and a half stars, Joe. Yeah. Lennon was a bit more friendlier to it. Yeah. I do know several of the subsequent sequels he hated. Yeah. I know for a fact the only other sequel that he was it didn't get a great review was the third one. He gave it one and a half. Yeah. But most of the other sequels were bombs. Yeah, I, I mean, it might. I say I give it a ten. I don't know if it's worthy of a ten, but personally, in on my a personal book, level, yeah, yeah I, I give it a ten because it brings back a lot of nostalgia for me, and it's a movie for that me. I watched a lot as a kid, so it brings brings me back to my childhood a lot. So, just on the same note, when I'm giving a review, it's usually from a personal yeah, standpoint, that's not, right. not a critical one. Yeah, I, don't, I can't. I, I couldn't do. Someone asked me once, "Why don't you be a critic?" I said, "I can't no. do it." No, because I give quite too much critical. personal influence. Yeah, I think my yeah. si- I, I think my siblings could do that. I can't. I mm. just enjoy. Them. I don't give a crap. Fair enough. So I definitely think we've covered a lot in this week's episode. One other think? thing I want to ask you before we finish: um, there was a TV series. Oh, what? don't even bother. Okay. I haven't Ooh. seen it. A live action don't. series. Don't. It's okay. bad. I watched two episodes and gave up. Right, okay. I do know it also had a, a cartoon series. Yeah. Which was actually all right. Okay. That was set in the late 80s. The live-action TV show was the early 90s. It was after the, th- the the seventh film, which they brought back after so long. Yeah. And that was so bad, I, 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 I can't even go yeah. into it. I mean, it's watchable for me. It's watchable. The, but... Listen, I can watch them all up to six. Honest yep. to God, I can. I don't give a crap what the critics say. I can. But Seven was so bad, 
even I'm like, oh god. Oh, so god. I wouldn't have said seven was so bad. I mean, it was it was alright. No, because <laughs> not, half the crew didn't the cast didn't come back. Yeah, yeah. Only four of them did, and that didn't help it. Mm. That's the problem. You, if you want that to work, you really need more than that. Yeah. And even I. So uh, it's just a quick thing. Steve Gutenberg who played Mahoney, only did the four, the first four movies. And mm. Steve said by the fourth one he was done. In that time period, he also did both the Cocoon movies, which helped him a lot, and did some subsequent, uh, like, uh, Short Circuit as well. And even he said four was enough. Mm. And most of them, with the exception of him, made it to the sixth movie. Yeah. I, I mean, mostly, like, um, like Hooks, Jones, Hightower, Callahan, and... Um, Tackleberry all made it to the sixth movie, mm. but a couple of them didn't come back for the seventh, and I don't blame them. Yeah, and also Lassard. Quickly, I have to mention Lassard was in all of them as well. Mm. George, but um, I like the idea, and I think most of them would agree. You you like having a regular paycheck, don't you, Joe? Yeah. So someone once said, "Why don't you kept working?" I said, "Because I like having paychecks." So the whole thing right now with the strikes and that, I get it. Yeah get these people deserve their money and I get these writers deserve their money because I mean you know without writers there are no films or television and a story that's yeah. how I look at that absolutely yep so cool. I think we'll leave it at that for this week Mr. yep that was a uh, great episode thank you for listening and we hope you enjoyed talk us talking crap about police academy and crap about subsequent uh connections on all levels whether it's film television gaming or pop culture in general very good i'm ben i'm jay we'll see you again soon have a good one retro guardians